Stay awake. <laughs> That's the name of the sermon tonight. Stay awake. Acts chapter 20. We're continuing our series through Acts. This is a picture of the map of my Bible. <laughs> and we're in the red line. Okay? So it says, third missionary journey. Paul's about to leave Ephesus. Okay? And it's going to go pretty quick here, but he's going to go... From Ephesus, he's going to sail up to Philippi. He's going to go through Macedonia all the way down to what's they've been calling Acacia tonight. There, it's I don't know if there's a switch historically around this time, but they're uh, down to Greece. We know it as Greece, um, and he's going to go all the way back there. Then he's going to double back, go all the way back up to Philippi, and then sail across back to Troas and make his way down. And we're going to end in Miletus here. So, just keep your eye on that. Glance over whenever you want to. I might reference it here, but I just like having the visual because you, it moves super fast. And you're like, oh, he's going like town to town real quick. And it's like, this is a really like massive journey that he's taking. So, uh, I like seeing the reference and, and understanding the timeline as much as we can. Acts chapter 20, verse 1 says, After the uproar... Do you remember the uproar? Yes. Okay. This is the silversmiths and the other craftsmen that are worried about the, um, basically their trade failing because Paul is converting so many people by preaching the gospel of Jesus and the, the truth of what he did and how he fulfilled all the scripture, right? So he, uh, he's preaching for like three years in this region and everybody a ton of people are getting saved and so there's this huge uproar by the craftsmen and they try to attack paul so it's saying after that right after the uproar had ceased paul called his disciples to himself embraced them and departed to go to macedonia okay so he's just gonna take a boat straight to it now when he had gone over that region and encouraged them by many words, he came to Greece. Told you he was going to go fast. <laughs> he's, he's now all the way down. He went to all the different places, spoke to all the different people that he led to the Lord. And he's now all the way down in like Athens area. He's in, he's in Greece there. Verse 3, he stayed there three months. And when the Jews plotted against him, as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So he's planning on coming home. Syria, when it says he's coming back to Syria, it normally means he's heading back to Jerusalem or Antioch. So he's planning to sail back. And right when he's about to do that, uh, he, I don't know, he catches word somehow that the Jews are plotting against him. I don't know if it was like he didn't trust the boat that he was about to get on, but he decides to double back. He decides to go all the way back the way that he had just come to get back to Jerusalem. That's that's where he's heading back to. It says, And Sipater of Berea accompanied him to Asia, also Aristarchus and Secondus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and Tychus, and Trophimus of Asia. These men going ahead waited for us at Troas. Again, we see this shift in language. It's been them, it's been he, it's been Paul and his party are going and then, again, right around Troas, we see that shift in language. So they're, they're going to meet up with Luke in Troas. And so they are 
have now come all the way back up. Again, this is a long journey, lots of walking, and now they're back over here in Troas. It says in verse 6, But we sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days joined them at Troas, where we stayed seven days. So Luke and his party, they're coming from Philippi, and they're going to stay some time in Troas. It seems like the way it's written that that's where Luke is from. That's probably why they're staying in Troas, but it's also clearly because Paul had a lot to, to say to them. He had a lot of things that he needed to say to them because in his mind, this is like the last time he's going to be. No, why do they think it's where Luke is from? Because that's where the shift changes all the time. Throughout Acts, it'll be him, it'll be they, it'll be blah, 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 blah. And then once they get to Troas or around there, it says we. So, yes, even though he's coming from Philippi, it's interesting that he meets them in Troas and then they stay for a time. So he's probably so seeing... like a kind of a meeting. Yep. Yep, exactly. Fun fact, Troas is also where they found the ruins of what they think is Troy. So maybe Luke was a Trojan. But they are, yeah, meeting in Troas. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is mentioned here. This is the week of Passover. Okay? You can read more about the Feast of Unleavened Bread in Exodus 12, also in Leviticus 23. We're not going to unpack that now, but that's where it's mentioned and everything surrounding there. But after this feast, they meet up in Troas. They stay for a week, it says. It says they stay for seven days. And verse 7. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came to gather to break bread, Paul, ready to, to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. This is a long sermon. Uh, we just had the Bible study marathon where Pastor Dave preached for 12 hours. It's kind of like that. <laughs> Paul starts talking and then he just teaches all the way into the night. And verse 8 says, There were many lamps in the upper room, and they were gathered together. So it was well lit. A bunch of people gathered together to hear Paul speak. Verse 9, And in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus. Poor Eutychus. This is the only time he's mentioned in the Bible. <laughs> and uh, it's for something that we've all been. We've all been here, right? It says, A man named Eutychus, he's sitting in the window, says, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was sinking into a deep sleep. Like I said, we've all been there. Maybe it's a Wednesday night, and the teacher's going on and on. Uh, it's been a long day. And this guy, he, it, he's, it says he's overcome with sleep. And uh, this doesn't have anything to do with what we're reading, but whenever I talk about people falling asleep in a sermon, I have to mention Pastor <laughs> Dave. Uh, he was having a... An all-night prayer meeting with the church one night. Have you guys heard this one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not anyway. Pastor Dave was, uh, they've been praying for a long time. It's late into the evening, and Pastor Dave's praying. And in the middle of his prayer, he pauses. And he pauses for quite a long time. And people are like, oh, man, like Dave's like really in the spirit. Mm -hmm. Like, what's he going to say? Like, He's really emotional, or he's going to say something like really powerful, and they're waiting, they're waiting, and the next thing they hear is, 
Pastor Dave fell asleep in his own prayer meeting. His own prayer. His own prayer. prayer. Not even his own prayer meeting. He was his prayer and he started snoring. He just told me. I told him I was going to mention this tonight. And uh, he told me he was 24 when that happened. I thought he was like in his like 40s or something. Yeah, I thought so too. He was a young buck and he still fell asleep in that. He might have I don't know. That's what he said. I think he was older than that. I thought that was at Hope Chapel. Because he hadn't even started Hope Chapel then. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe he meant 42. Yeah. yeah. He was like, one, one of those. I don't know. <laughs> They're all the same. But Eutychus. Man, he's fallen into a deep sleep. You guys can feel for him here. Uh, he's overcome with sleep. And as Paul continued speaking, right, he's going on. He, this is Eutychus, fell down from the third story... And was taken up dead. Okay, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, number one, don't fall asleep in a sermon. It's like, it's distracting and it's discouraging. Don't do that. Number two, if you're falling asleep, move from the window. <laughs> like, don't sit in the window that is like open and three stories up. Just a little, uh, uh, something we can learn from Eutychus. Thank you, Eutychus. Verse 10, but Paul went down, fell on him, and embracing him, said, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. Now when he had gone back up and broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, so he continues his sermon, even till daybreak he departed. And they brought the young man in alive, and they were not a little comforted. They were very obviously comforted. This guy didn't die, although he did die. Like he totally, it says he was taken up dead. Like, he is, he falls from the third story and dies. And it's, it's amazing, obviously, that Paul, like, prays over him, raises this guy up from the dead, but then he continues. <laughs> like, that, that's, that's amazing. It's a really big deal that a guy just died in his sermon. Like, obviously, it's like, <laughs> but Paul doesn't just be like, ah, he's fine. Like, he'll be okay. Like, he runs down there. He hugs him, embraces him, and he, he raises this guy from the dead, and he doesn't let himself or his audience get distracted. This is an amazing thing that we see happen to Paul. And again, he doesn't disregard the important thing that happened. He recognizes it. He deals with it. But then he says, I was saying something that needs to be said, and I need to continue. And he continues all the way up until daybreak. So he has now preached all through the night, up into the morning. And what I want to say, again, the name of this sermon is Stay Awake. Okay, so Eutychus, he was sleeping on the job. He, 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 he let sleep overcome him. He was sleeping on the job. But we see this with Paul throughout his ministry. Paul wasn't. Paul is aware of what's going on. He's ready for things that come his way. He is, he's ready to take on whatever happens in his ministry, even this. Something super distracting, like someone dying during your sermon. Like, I get a little distracted because I leave my place. If someone died during my sermon, God help me. So, but Paul, he doesn't get distracted by this major thing. He deals with it, and then he says, I need to continue what I was saying. So he continues his sermon. So don't get distracted from what God has called you to do or what God has put on your heart to do, even when something huge happens. This can, can be in your life. It can be in your everyday life, but also like in a sermon, like don't get distracted from what God has put on your heart because something huge happens. 
deal with the huge thing, but you got to stay focused. You got to stay on what uh, God has given you to do. First Peter says, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So this, this comes to mind when I'm talking about like, stay awake, right? Be sober, be vigilant. One, um, one version says, be on your guard and stay awake, right? Stay awake, stay on top of your game, be ready for anything because the devil is trying to distract you. He's trying to pull you away from what God has for you to do. So we see Paul living this out. We see him living this way throughout his ministry, and he stays on target. He heals this dead guy uh, that dies during his sermon, but he stays focused. He continues the important message that God has given to him to give all the way through the morning. And as he leaves, the whole church is obviously more than comforted that this guy didn't die and is seems to be just fine. <laughs> so Paul continues in his journey. Verse 13. Then we went ahead to the ship and sailed to Asos. There we intended to take Paul on board, for so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. So they're in Asos now. He says, I'm going to walk. They're going to sort of sail around this little peninsula and pick him up there. And when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and came to Mytilene. We sailed from there. And the next day we came opposite Chios. And the following day we arrived at Samos and stayed at Trogilium. The next day we came to Miletus. We're going to spend the rest of our time here in Miletus. So again, I told you it was going to go real fast. We started in Ephesus. He went all the way up, all the way down, all the way back up, all the way back down. Now he's in Miletus. Really quick, when you're reading it, but when you're looking at a map, you're like, that is a huge, long journey. So they were walking like a lot of that. Paul was. Uh, well, no, because he, Not he the walked. Sailing parts, obviously. In uh, Acacia and Macedonia, yeah. They were walking probably all of that. A lot of those are port cities, though. They could be taking. But right. he, when we, when you look at, like, because it says he goes back through where he had taught and encourages the people who he had, had brought to the Lord, which was all inland. But, like, down to Miletus, they. Probably. That was sailing. They yeah. they sailed from Asos around. They did port here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it yeah. even says in the text that they they stopped and ported and then continued on the boat. But yeah, they're now down in Miletus. Verse sixteen. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem if possible. On the day of Pentecost. Now, if you remember, we talked about this last week, that Paul had purposed in his spirit to go back through this whole region that he had taught, right, through Macedonia, to encourage everyone who he had, who he had taught, then to go to Jerusalem, and then after that to go to Rome. He purposes in the spirit. That's in Acts 19.21. Additionally, we're about to find out that in every town that he has been going to, all of these places, people are prophesying by the Holy Spirit that bad things are going to happen to him in Jerusalem. We're going to read that here soon, but I want to let you guys know that because his promise, I think that his promise sort of includes being there 
by Pentecost. This this day of Pentecost, it's as we saw at the very beginning of this series in Acts chapter 2, Jews from all over the place come to Jerusalem for this feast. It's a massive amount of Jews all in one place, and it's a massive opportunity for revival. So I think that's probably why he's trying to get there. As we saw in Acts 2, 3,000 people are saved by the gospel of Jesus in one day. So Paul's probably like, got to get there. It's going to be a big thing. The apostles that are there could use my help. I'm going to get there no matter what. A little side note, Pentecost, it is 50 days after the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Again, you can see this in Leviticus chapter 23, but Pente means five, Pentecost day means 50th. So it's the 50th day after that feast. And I, I bring this up because if you do some quick math, Luke and his party joined them from Philippi five days after the feast. They spent seven days in Troas, and then all that travel. We're three to four weeks into those 50 days. So he has as much time, three to four weeks, to cover quite a lot of ground. He still has to go all this way to get to Jerusalem. So you can sort of feel that that stress. You can probably think of that added stress that, as I'm about to read, everywhere, all of these cities he's traveling, he's getting these prophecies that bad things, chains, persecution is coming to you in Jerusalem. So there's that added stress, there's the stress of time, and you can sort of, you can feel it, right? Like you can kind of be with Paul of like, man, like something big is is about to happen. I don't know what it is. Obviously it's going to be bad for me, but it might be good for Jesus. Like that's, that's where he's at. And that's where he continues. Verse 17, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. So he passed Ephesus when he was traveling to Miletus, if you remember, because probably a lot happened recently in Ephesus. He doesn't want to kick things up. He's trying to get to Jerusalem, but he needs to speak to the elders of that church one last time. So again, you can feel the urgency. You can feel the pressure. He's thinking, well, it's not going to go well for me in Jerusalem. This is probably the last time that I'm going to see these guys. I need to address them one more time. And, and this address he's about to give to the elders of this area, it's a reminder to not fall asleep on the job. It's, it's that same thing that we're talking about. Stay sober, stay vigilant, stay awake, be on your guard. Verse 18, And when they had come to him, these are the elders, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to you in Asia, what manner I always lived among you, serving with the Lord, with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. I've said this before, but sometimes we think of Paul as sort of this rock that is never shit. You know, this, this super tough guy that he's never afraid of anything. He doesn't back down, but here he he's opening up to them. And he's opened up to them before because he says, you know that I've I've been through all these trials. I've been through this stuff with tears. And you can imagine sort of what it would have been like for Paul being a man who most of his life, he was doing things in order to impress the Jews, right? He was 
a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was educated with the Jews. He's trying to impress these guys. He's trying to be in with them. And now they're all trying to kill him. And they're saying awful, horrible things about him and the things that he's saying, the things that he's preaching. Now, I'm not saying that that's the only, that he's only feeling hurt. And that's why he had these tears. Because we know uh, more than that, Romans tells us that his heart was breaking for the Jews because they rejected Christ. So not only are these people who he's always had a heart for, they're rejecting him, they're trying to kill him. Not only that, but now the truth that he's trying to bring them, they reject the Christ that they've been waiting for for thousands of years. And he's like, man, I'm hurt, I'm frustrated, I'm sad. And he's kind of saying like, you know where I've been. I've been with you in tears, I've been with you uh, in trials. And so he's encouraging them and he's about to sort of pass on his ministry to them. Verse 20, you know how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to the Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see now, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. This is complicated, <laughs> right? He's bound in the Spirit, right? He's made this promise in the Spirit to do this thing. And now the same Spirit is warning him of what's going to happen to him if he fulfills that promise that he made to the Spirit, right? It's, it's like, man, like, this is, this is complicated. Verse 24. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. This to me is the most beautiful verse in this entire chapter. Like that is an amazing thing for Paul to say. Like a lot of people are like, man, if God would just tell me what my life was going to be like, I would, I would just be able to relax so much more. And it's like God told Paul what's awaiting him. Like he knows exactly what's awaiting his future. And sometimes if we knew exactly what was awaiting our future, we wouldn't continue. We'd be like, I don't want to do it. Like, holy cow, that's like a lot of stress. Like, yeah, you're, you're telling me people are going to try and kill me. They are going to hurt me for sure. Like, it's not going to end well for me. But Paul, he knows for a fact that persecution is waiting for him in Jerusalem. But he says, I go anyway. Because I don't count my life worth anything if I don't do the job that God told me to do. It's worth nothing if I don't fulfill my calling. And here we see sort of a glimpse of why Paul made this promise in the Spirit, right? He felt like if he didn't do this thing, if he didn't go to Jerusalem and then head to Rome after that, that he was not fulfilling his calling. This is huge. So he purposes in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem because his calling from Jesus is that strong. And it's he, he's like in his mind saying, it's not fulfilled unless I do this thing. It's a hard thing, and I know they hate me there, but 
this is where it all started, and I have to head back. Now, again, it's complicated, because jumping forward a little bit more, in the next chapter, there's going to be people telling him through the Spirit, it says in chapter 21, don't go to Jerusalem. So what do we do with this? I'll sort of open that up and and see if you guys have any thoughts. What do you do with this complicated situation? I think part of the reason why it's hard is because we don't have much backstory on why Paul is so purposeful to go to Jerusalem. Like, he kind of can make some educated guesses, I feel like, but there's nothing definite in Acts that says, then Paul did this, or then God said this, and that's why he wanted to go to Jerusalem. Right. Because, like, if God, like, came to him in a dream or something and said, go to Jerusalem, then it's like, okay, I don't care what happens, I'm going. Right, but that's happened in his ministry before, and Luke records that. Yeah. So it's like, okay. You know, it's like, like, hmm, this is interesting. I'll ask some leading questions here. Uh, Does Paul have a strong relationship with the Holy Spirit? Absolutely, right? When Paul was first saved, Jesus tells Ananias, I'm going to tell Paul, or I'm going to show Paul, it says, how many things he must suffer for Christ's name. Right? Then when Paul is going into Asia Minor for the first time, the Holy Spirit forbade him to go into the area. We don't know how or why or, or what, but we know the Holy Spirit spoke to Paul and forbade him to preach there. Right? And then while he's waiting to figure out what's going to go on here, God gives him a dream to go to Macedonia. Right? So we know he has this strong relationship with God. He has seen Jesus. He has heard from the Holy Spirit. Right? That's the Trinity. That's our triune God. He's got this strong relationship there. But what, I'll ask this, what is the consistent thing that people are telling him in the Spirit? Don't if he's gonna be put in chains. Well, the next, well, I haven't read them yet. Oh. Verse twenty-three is the one where it says that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations wait. So yeah, that's the the main thing. Persecution is coming. Paul is. Uh, as I've said, he's very in tune with what God's calling on his life is. So my take on it is this. The Holy Spirit is revealing persecution to these people to tell Paul it's coming. Now, we don't know exactly why the Holy Spirit is telling that. Is it a test? Is it like telling Abraham to sacrifice his son, who he knows is supposed to be the future, right? Who God has promised this this son is going to bring you an abundance of offspring. Is it like that? Is the Holy Spirit testing him? It could be. But, again, my take on this is it's the Holy Spirit telling the people to tell Paul this thing. But it's the people who are telling Paul, don't go. Mm-hmm. Because of what the Spirit told them. Right? It's out of their love for him. It's out of their love for him. It says, it, it, and again, in, in the next chapter, it is going to say that 
through the Spirit, they tell him, don't go to Jerusalem. But it's different language than the other things that he says here in verse 23. The Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. The message is, chains and tribulations await. That's what the Spirit is saying. But they tell Paul in the next chapter, don't go. Because the message is, tribulation is coming. So, Paul, he weighs his options, and he comes to the conclusion that to not go to Jerusalem is fear of man. Because the only thing that the Holy Spirit is saying is persecution's coming. And he's sort of like, what do I do with this? You know? And he's, the conclusion is, I fear God more than I fear man. My calling is to do this hard thing, even though it's the hardest thing I'm ever going to do. But I have to fulfill this promise. I have to fulfill this calling on my, my life. So he says, I'm bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy. He says, if I don't fulfill this part of my calling, then I can't have any joy in, in my life. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone, preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. This is goodbye from Paul. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. This phrase, the whole counsel of God, has been grabbed and used in a lot of ways, but what Paul is simply saying is that I taught you the hard stuff in addition to the fun stuff, right? I didn't just preach grace and freedom. Like, you're saved and you're free. That's not all I preached. The whole counsel of God includes, I taught you the justice of God. I taught you damnation. I taught you that hell's a real place. I taught you self-control and continuance, right? I taught you the whole counsel of God. I taught you not just the fluff, but the grit, right? Everything that is wrapped up in this thing. And he's saying, because of that, my hands are clean. And again, this is him saying, I've done all I can. And he's transferring his ministry to these pastors. Verse 28. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. This again referencing Jesus fulfilling all of the blood sacrifices and purchasing, right? That's that's that language of he's paid our he's paid the price. What we should pay, death for all of our sins, Jesus paid by by voluntarily dying for us, offering his blood as a sacrifice, as that atonement, so that we can have right relationship with God. The Holy Spirit, he's telling them. He's called you to be pastors, and here's your responsibility. Lead well. Take heed to yourselves to do what I told you, but also take heed to the flock, right? Jesus gave his life for you, 
and he gave his life for the people that these people are pastoring as well. And so to neglect yourself and neglect proper teaching, that is to say Jesus's sacrifice for me doesn't matter. It's to reject Christ and to, to neglect the people, to not pastor them well, to not watch out for them, to take heed of them. That's to neglect them and to say that they aren't important. But Jesus says they're important for me to die for, to give my life for, to give my blood for. So he's saying that Jesus died for your people. Take heed of them. Take care of them. Verse 29. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. False teachers will arise. We've talked a lot about this here on Wednesday night, but honestly, that's because the Bible talks a lot about this topic. I've said this before, but there's only four New Testament books that don't mention false teachers. Of all the New Testament books, there's only four that don't mention specifically false teachers. This is a massive topic. False teachers will arise. And as leaders... What he's telling them here is, as the leaders, as the shepherds, you're to watch out for scattering sheep, right? Watch out for disunity. Watch out for wolves, which Matthew 7, Jesus identifies wolves as, as those false teachers, right? He says they're wolves in sheep's clothing. That's where we get that phrase. They look like us. They talk like us. They have a lot of the same knowledge but they are teaching falsehood. And what Paul is saying is stay awake. Stay vigilant. Stay on top of it. Keep your eye out. Look for scattering. Look for disunity. Look for false teachers and protect the flock and protect yourselves. Verse 31. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn Everyone, night and day, with tears. There's that that warning, right? These warnings are all throughout the New Testament. Warnings to continue. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who are with me. I have shown you in every way, by laboring like this, that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, that he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. He's saying, I didn't take your money. I didn't come here for your money. I came here for you. I love you. I came here to serve you you. And I worked this hard so that you would know you need to work just as hard to take care of those who are weaker than you. Again, he's saying, watch out for the flock. Watch out for them. Work hard to protect them. Verse 36, and when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely. 
and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. Paul recognizes that he's not going to be able to watch over these people anymore. So he, he transfers that weight to the pastors, to the leaders of that area that God has appointed over that area. And he says, it's your responsibility now. My hands are clean. I got to go. The Spirit has called me elsewhere, and I'm going to fulfill my calling, and I'm probably going to die. So take care of these people. Stay awake. Stay sober. Stay vigilant. Because it's going to get hard. And that's the thing about Paul is like, so much has happened in his ministry. They've heard all the stories. They've, they've seen all these things. And he's led by example. He's not just saying these things and taking off. He's, he's fulfilling what he's saying by doing them. And what he's doing in this address to them is, you've seen how I lived. <laughs> like, you know my character by how I live. So do that, <laughs> you know, like lead how I led, try and be humble, try and, and take care of the people and don't let yourself go astray because false teachers are coming. We're going to continue his trip as he makes his way to Jerusalem next week. Uh, but now we can pray. Dear God, we love you and praise you, and I uh, thank you for your word, that it's a timely word, and that it's timeless, and that um, you've always got your hand on us in, in protection, God. And so I pray that you will be with our leaders, be with our pastors, um, help them to stay sober and vigilant and keep their eyes on you. Take heed to themselves and to their flock, which is us. God, I pray that you will help them protect us. And I pray that you will help us be glorifying to you and fulfill our calling on our lives. God, that we don't back down from anything that we might be afraid of, but um, stand up to the plate when it's, when it's time. God, I pray that you will empower us and be with us as we enter into the rest of our week, and uh, I pray that you will speak to us, to each of us individually, how you want us to act, what you want us to say, and help us to just be attentive to your spirit. We love you, God, and praise you, and I pray that you bless the rest of this evening, and help our fellowship be glorifying to you. In Jesus' name, amen.